0: Hi, Andrew here. Before we begin, I wanted to let you know that starting next week and through the rest of the summer, we'll be talking to reporters and storytellers on our recent Global Sport Matters digital issue on COVID 19. If you have a question or a comment about our COVID 19 stories, let us know. Tweet us your questions at Global Sport MTRS. That's Global Sport MTRS. And we will respond to some of your questions on this podcast. And now, the show. As spring turned into summer, college sports programs across the country were faced with a tough decision. Should they return to sport? And as parts of the Northeast finally began to see COVID-19 relent... Across the South and West, hotspots and outbreaks became the norm. With college sports so intertwined with revenue, scholarships, and identity, what to do? The answer for one college was simple, cancel. Joining me to discuss why Morehouse won't be playing fall sports is its president, David Thomas. From the Global Sport Institute and Global Sport Matters at ASU, I'm Andrew Ramsamy and this is The Huddle. A recent Sports Illustrated article described David Thomas as not being your normal academic. Indeed, in his rise to become Morehouse's 12th leader, he's the only president to have not graduated from the college. And in continuing in a tradition of precedence, in just his first two years at the helm of the historic institution, he's opened admission to the school to anyone who self-identifies as male, regardless of gender assigned at birth. Just a month later, during the 135th commencement of Morehouse, history was made when honorary degree recipient and CEO of Vista Equity Partners, Robert F. Smith, generously offered to pay off the student loans of the class of 2019. And last month, during a period of unknowns and uncharted territory during COVID-19, David Thomas made a decision that no other athletic or academic leader within the NCAA had made. Canceled their fall season. Joining me now to discuss his decision and more is David Thomas. David, welcome to the show. Uh, Thank you. So, David, you were really one of the first uh, first leaders to decide as an NCAA Division One and Division Two school to cancel fall sports. What made you make that decision?
1: Um, it was um, very straightforward um, as we were planning that we would come back in. The, um, in, in a residential format. Uh, for the fall. And we started to look at what was required for us to, you know, maximize our ability to keep our students safe. Um, I realized that um, fall sports, in particular football, uh, presented some particular questions that we needed to answer. One of which was, um, could we keep our athletes as safe? as we would be able to keep our students who were not athletes or at least intercollegiate competing athletes. And um, as I looked at it and just considered, you know, the realities of football, um, uh, football is not a sport uh, unless maybe you're playing, you know, I, I don't know uh uh that uh lends itself to social distancing in fact by definition you know um you're within a yard of the person across from you uh every play breathing hard and um you know the quarterback is right over the center uh within less than 6 feet of the two people you know on either side of the center So you start to think about that, then we were going to, you know, we were going to put in place what we thought was a best in class testing, monitoring, social tracing um, protocol here for the college. But as we looked at it, we realized that for intercollegiate sports, our students have to travel to other schools. And not all of those schools would have the same regimen that we would have. And just as we went down the line, we saw that we were putting our student athletes who played football and to some extent the other fall sports at more risk than we were our other students. And then it was purely a values uh, decision, which was. um You know, our student-athletes are students first. Mm. Um, And even though we were on track to actually have football for the first time uh, make money for the college, uh, because we had changed our schedule and included some games that would pay a fee for us to play. We had moved our Tuskegee Morehouse Classic to Birmingham uh, from Columbus for a nice, uh, uh, financial, uh, uh, arrangement that would have been positive for the school. Um, and we had changed the, the way we managed sponsorships. So we were actually looking at football being a positive contributor financially, but at the end of the day, we said they are students first. And, uh, what did that mean? That meant that we brought them here um, to graduate from Morehouse College with the thought, belief, that they were capable of doing that. So that also meant that they deserved to maintain their full scholarship awards. So we guaranteed those scholarship awards as a matter of doing right by our students. Um, And uh, it actually wasn't that difficult a decision Once we got clear about the decision principles and and values. And so, for example, um, I did not consult any other college president about the decision, Uh, nor did I take it to our uh, conference, the SIC, until I had made my decision. And then I went to the commissioner and told him what I was going to do. Um, and, uh, that created a discussion within the conference that ultimately led to, uh, the conference deciding to cancel, uh, fall sports. Um, and that's how we arrived at the decision.
0: And I was going to ask you, I mean, in that decision tree and that matrix that you just described, um, who was counseling you at the table there at Morehouse? Who, who was sitting there? helping you figure things out. And what was that process like?
1: At that point we had an interim, uh, athletic director, Jay Edwards, uh, who's also a Morehouse alum and had played sports here at the college in the early nineties. Um, and Jay and I, um, really worked it through together. And, um, And then I brought my senior team into the discussion. And uh, but by that point in time, you know, it was much more to say where I had come out. And as I do most of my decisions, you know, I create a moment for people to, you know, challenge my logic and help me make sure that I can answer whatever questions that decision is going to generate. Uh, I probably shouldn't go on record by saying uh i, I didn't consult widely or broadly um, it it was it was pretty clear to me once I was clear about you know the values and what I owed my students and answered those questions, what we should do. did you know what the ripple
0: impact or what the effect would be of your decision, or were you just making your decision with? your interests at the center and regardless of whatever anyone else decided to do, you knew exactly what it is that you had to, you know, what you had to do.
1: So Andrew, this is the, this is the interesting thing about it. It never even occurred to me that no other school had already made the decision. So when I made the decision and we announced it, I woke up the next day to an inbox full of people wanting to talk to me in the press and it wasn't until I got on the first interview uh and the and the person interviewing me said well you know you're the first sco- you're the first scholarship school to make this decision and I said you know, you gotta be kidding me. (laughs) No, you know, others are, others are struggling with it, but you're the first one to come out, you know, and I had no idea. Uh, and didn't think about it from that vantage point of, you know, making a statement. Uh, the other, you know, kind of rule of thumb that I was guided by was just, uh, What I've learned over the years about crisis management and this COVID virus uh, has created a crisis. And one quality of crises is uh, you're managing it in an uncertain, extraordinarily uncertain environment. So any uncertainty that you can take out, you should take out. And one uncertainty that I could take out was fall athletics, right? You know, rather than sort of waiting till August or, you know, and I just said, you know, we can take that out. Let's make a decision about it. And then we went down the, the decision tree that I described. Uh, but, yeah, I had no idea, you know, wind up in Sports Illustrated and ESPN and the New York Times. And the Washington Post and Wall Street Journal. I mean, it was it was pretty crazy.
0: So, not only did you make the decision to cancel all fall sports, but then you also made a recent decision to move from what a lot of people have been have been describing as a hybrid experience of both in class and virtual uh, teaching to now an all lo- online learning experience for the semester. That's um, right. Has there been pushback from the community, from players, from staff? Has anyone said, uh, you know? Yes. You, I mean, you just said this was going to be the first year potentially that the school would have been making, uh, you know, positive revenue from from football. Um, yeah. There's a lot of discussion about the 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 finance, the, the financial aspect of running an academic institution.
1: Yeah, it, it's it's interesting you asked that. And the answer is. Um, I've gotten. Expressions of disappointment from our students, because they really want to be here. Uh, uh, And I don't know if you've ever been to Morehouse, but it's a very special place because of our unique mission. We're the only historically black college in the country that is solely devoted to the education of men. 95% of our students identify as black men. Uh, And there's a kind of brotherhood and specialness uh, to this environment that uh, you have to experience it to really get it. But it draws our students here. And that's why our alumni are so loyal when they leave. And for many of our young men, because some of them have written me this is the first environment where they've been in, where they felt safe to be who they are. Uh, so I've gotten notes of disappointment, but almost to a person, people have actually either expressed an understanding about making the decision and how tough it, it must have been, uh, or they've been supportive. Uh, you know, from the vantage point of, hey, that's the right decision. No matter what anybody says, that's the right decision. So so I've not gotten a lot of pushback or uh, hostility. My board's been extraordinarily supportive. Uh, this This was not a move that required, you know, three meetings and, you know, each one lasting five hours. Um, And we made very clear to our board as far back as April that if we went all virtual, uh, it would be a significant financial uh, impact negatively for the college. And we don't have a lot of unrestricted reserves uh to fill the gap. So, you know, uh, and and our board has been nothing but supportive. Our alumni have been fully supportive.
0: I mean, we all know that the virus has disproportionately affected communities of color. Uh, yeah. and with 95% of your student body being African-American men, black men, is there a bigger impact to your students in this moment and and the decision that you ultimately made?
1: Well, you know, when you, you know, when you use the phrase bigger, right, that suggests that, you know, I have comparative data. And in that regard, I, you know, I only have it kind of at the macro level that all of us are seeing in the paper that it's disproportionate. What I can say though is that the impact on my student community has been significant. Uh, luckily, we have not had anyone. Among our employees or our student body uh, that I'm aware of who has been placed on a ventilator or, you know, uh, become a fatality. But we've had several students who've written to me that, uh, you know, members of their family have passed away. Uh, We've had employees who've had members of their families pass away. Uh, Some of our students. Have also uh, had members of their families who were supporting their education lose their jobs, and therefore place in jeopardy that student's ability to continue at Morehouse. Um, and um, you know, we've had at least one employee here on the campus uh, test positive. Uh, which, you know, but the the campus has for the most part been evacuated. Um, But it's not been lost on me that our students by and large are from the communities that have been disproportionately negatively impacted by COVID. And quite frankly, I'm even more worried about the 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 fallout from COVID than I am what happens in the next two to three months because you know right now there are lots of things happening to shore up support in the short term but there's going to be an economic fallout from COVID uh, there's going to be a healthcare. Set of consequences from COVID. And one thing about uh, the American public and the American polity is we have a very short memory span. So some of those supports that are being put out now will go away as if all the effects of COVID suddenly cease. You know, if we get a vaccine in January, um, you know. I doubt that Congress will see the need to extend stimulus to schools like Morehouse that will have taken an extraordinary financial uh, hit uh, during the COVID moment, perhaps to the tune of twenty million dollars or so. Um, yeah, right. Yep. Uh, so that's that. That's what I'm worried about. Is kind of what's going to be on the back end.
0: So in lieu of a fall sports schedule what does an athletic department look like and what does the student experience look like at Morehouse
1: Great, Great question well let's start with the fact that um we're going to be all virtual so we won't have students on campus taking classes whereas if we had gone hybrid the athletes the the at least the football and track and field team would have been uh among the 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 students that we brought back to campus um what i've asked our um athletic director to do is to work with our coaches and our uh, compliance officers and our educational support system to make sure that we have a very structured And consistent uh, plan for reaching out to our student athletes, making sure that they continue to get, you know, the the tutoring and educational services that we would provide to them on campus. uh, So they stay focused on the fact that they are students first and, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, not football players first. Uh, Also, you know, across the board for all of our students, we're implementing something called wellness checks. Uh, Our coaches will do that for our players. And um, our coaches will be focused on uh, recruiting next year's uh, class of athletes Um, and uh, working with uh, high school coaches. Uh, to identify who those players might be that would have come on our screen had they had the opportunity to play this fall, some high schools will be playing um, our coaches will be actively uh actively recruiting, and then using this as a period uh to just rethink cause we don't have the urgency of the moment when you're, you know, launching for a season to just rethink what can we do better in our athletic program? Um, you know, now we've got the opportunity now to think about our physical plant and changes we might want to make. Um, we've hired, uh, a new, uh, athletic director, Curtis Campbell. He started on July one. So I'm asking him to think of it as if he has a blank sheet and, um, he's got these human resources, our coaching staff, um, um, he can even rethink our staffing patterns and how we deploy, uh, uh, our athletic support staff, like our trainers, uh, and uh equipment managers so so i'm really seeing this as a you know as an opportunity to innovate and and to improve
0: so david it's been 20 years since you wrote your book breaking through uh which i had the chance of reading several years ago when you actually came and spoke to me when i was a part of a, a leadership group in public media um today there are just three black fortune 500 CEOs. And we're now in this moment after George Floyd, this, you know, reawakening or awakening, depending on what you want to look at it, about race in America. Why does America keep trending in the wrong way? Or do you see a new trend that might emerge?
1: Well, um, I think it's, you know, I think it's both and. um, I see that we've been trending in the wrong way. And I see in this moment, the possibility that we can self-correct. And, um, you know, it's very interesting to look at the fact that, right, you, you, you can look at things at almost any, in almost any context of our society and you see that the trend has been going the wrong way. So COVID reveals that around health care, the trend has been going the wrong way. That's why uh, uh, black and brown communities are so disproportionately negatively impacted. We look at it in the context of policing. And what do we see? Um, There's something about what happened to George Floyd because we all literally watched him die on TV. Um, And watched in the eye of the policeman who did it, him display no sense of what he was doing to George Floyd as a human being. Right? It, it, It said. Black lives don't matter. Now, if we look at what's happened, you know, we go to the highest levels of corporate America. And we see that 20 years ago, we had nine black CEOs. And today we have three. It's trending in the wrong direction. Uh, And it's really a statement about how institutionalized The racial barriers are for people of color and black people in particular, how institutionalized the racism is. And in corporate America, once people took their eye off of the need to be intentional about creating the conditions that could give rise to black leadership at the highest levels, we immediately saw the trends reverse themselves. And um, I think it's because we, you know, um, we, and we have to put it at the foot of the white leaders who still are predominant in the leadership of companies, really understanding that the barriers were institutionalized and we didn't do anything to change, you know, the soil, if you will, because we can't make the case that black people got less talented over the last 20 years or that, you know, black people's capability to lead large corporations became any less. Um, So I think it's really, you know, we've got to focus on uh, the institutional barriers to black success and more broadly, the success of underrepresented uh, groups in our corporate sector. And we're about to see it explode as uh, our technology companies become the predominant companies of the day. Uh, which is you know we're 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 sort of almost there and and our tech companies are even less uh, diverse than what we think of as our industrial and you know twentieth century uh, uh, companies that dominated the twentieth century that were industrials and financials um, and retail. So that said, what I also see in this moment, is more CEOs and corporations coming to exactly the same conclusion that I just articulated uh, and wanting to do something about it that really is about, you know, addressing the systemic issues, Um, which means getting beyond simply, you know, we, we need a mentoring program or you know a sort of you know uh, fix the black people program, um, and really need to look at practices that um, give license for our biases to influence decisions in organizations.
0: I'm sure that you've been getting just as many emails about your decision. Uh, to cancel fall sports, as you've been probably getting questions as to, okay, you wrote the book 20 years ago. You've been talking to us about this. Now what do we do? Does what you've said over the course of the past 20 years in this moment change, or is it the same mandate that has been there all along?
1: It's the same, but I've crystallized it better. Because now what I say to um, senior executives is is very simple because now we've got all the tools to make a difference. We can't invent another new program. They're all there. Uh, It's really about leadership, relationships, and alignment. Diversity is one of those areas where we do not apply the same leadership acumen and focus that we apply to other challenges in our organizations and in particular in business. Relationships. Most executives who run large, influential companies don't have any people of color in their network that they're actually close enough to that they can have real conversations about the challenges that they're facing. They don't have them in their organizations. They don't have them in their real life that are not just, you know, people they're friendly with, but actually close relationships in a professional context with people who they see as their peers. And then alignment is, is really a, to address the institutional uh, things. Uh, and that is the willingness to change those things in the organization that work against what we are trying to achieve with regards to diversity. Within that, our accountability systems, our policies uh, that set the course with each co- new cohort that enters an organization on the managerial track, that by the time that cohort gets to the point that they are producing the CEO of the organization, um, There are no black or brown people within shouting distance of that opportunity uh, because most of them have left the organization, and those who remain have been underdeveloped to be viable uh, uh, for those most senior level jobs, even though they're still there doing fine.
0: So, how can minorities of color break through? in this moment to be able to attain those, you know, executive positions, whether in corporate America or in in sports organizations?
1: We need to be unambivalent about standing up, asking for the opportunity, because people are back in a mode of no longer envisioning that, you know, the next general manager or CEO here can be a black or brown person, unless we make clear that, you know, that's an opportunity that we think we're qualified for and we deserve. Um, uh, And, you know, that presumes that one has done all the work of preparation uh, uh, that's necessary. I think the other is, um, you know, There was a time when many corporations, not many, but a number of corporations made significant progress. They produced some of those senior executives who went on to run businesses. I'm thinking about places like IBM, uh, uh, UPS, um, um, Xerox that produced a disproportionate share of black talent, that if they didn't go on to become CEO in their company they grew up in, they went somewhere else and ended their career as a very senior person. A lot of that had to do with the fact that black people in those companies organized themselves into... You know, employee support groups and black management caucuses. And uh, I think we've got to go back to organized advocacy uh, in those same ways that uh, is focused on two things, opportunity and preparation. Got to, got to, got to engage the organization. To open up the opportunities, and we have to do the work to make sure that people of color understand, you know, the unspoken rules about making yourself prepared for those opportunities. The disappointing news is that means it's not much different than we were doing in the 80s and 90s. Hmm. Uh, On the other hand, there's the good news. Which is, we know how to do this. And if today we're in a moment where um, enough of the leaders of these companies and corporations are really serious about addressing the systemic barriers, building those relationships. Providing the same level and intensity of leadership that they provide when they're solving any other business problem. This can be uh, the breakthrough decade for uh, our country. And, you know, uh, I was thinking about this the other day, uh, about 2020. And it's a great metaphor, right? Because 2020 is perfect vision. This is 2020. So the only way that you can't see it perfectly is if you close your eyes to it. You know, I think so much has been revealed uh, that's only a matter of are you willing to see it? And if you're willing to see it, then are you committed? To doing something about it for leaders in our corporate um, environments, uh, and for that matter, uh, for people of color. How do you see Morehouse moving
0: the needle forward on progress?
1: Well, that's a great question. Um, A a, a variety of ways. Um, One, continuing to do what we've done. Uh, I think part of the power of the Morehouse brand is that we represent something that um, is, that defies uh, much of the imagination about Black men that pervades our society. And that is Uh, We are a place where black male excellence is produced at scale. And a place where black male excellence is an expectation and not an exception. Uh, And, you know, I see it when people come here to visit the college. Many of them, you know, have often never been to a historically black college and they come and they spend an afternoon here with our students and they're just blown away right cuz yeah you know you can go anywhere and find one or two you know black men who are doing fine and you know well spoken and confident but you can't go anywhere else in the country and find 2000 of them at one place at one time um, and 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 we've got to continue to do that and and do it in bigger ways. We also are now focused on elevating our voice in the public discourse about economic, educational and social policies. That directly impact the Black community, and in particular, what is happening to Black men. Uh, and finally, uh, you know, for the first time in our 153-year history, we're planning to offer courses to non-traditional students. Meaning, you know, students who aren't uh, young men between the ages of 17 and 23, um, who are, you know, getting an undergraduate degree, uh, but to uh, adult learners, uh, uh, using online uh, and hybrid educational formats. Uh, and, and, and finally, um, using our convening power to be a place that people see has the moral authority to have the kind of difficult conversations that will need to be had to move our country forward uh, in a unifying way uh, around the issue that has proven to be the most intractable uh, for our country, and that's race.
0: David, thanks so much for being on the show.
1: Hey, thank you. It's been a pleasure.
0: Once again, that was David Thomas, president of Morehouse College. A quick postscript, Morehouse College announced on Wednesday that they had received a $20 million gift from Mackenzie Scott. The author and philanthropist said in a tweet that she was, quote, following up on a commitment I made last year to give away the majority of my wealth in my lifetime. Congratulations to David, Morehouse, and their students. Well, that'll do it for this episode of The Huddle. The Huddle is a production of the Global Sport Institute and Global Sport Matters at Arizona State University. The producer for this episode was Kendall Jones. Our manager of marketing and communications is Crisal Valencia. To stay up to date with the latest stories, events, and podcasts, be sure to sign up for our newsletter at globalsportmatters.com. I'm Andrew Ramsiamy. And until next time, keep breaking through.